today's text, this happens to be my favorite chapter of the Bible. So um, I, I, this, when I studied through this, I'm going to say eight years ago, it transformed my Christian life. And it took me from being somebody who looked like it on the outside to somebody who lived it on the inside. And it changed who I was as a Christian. If you'll let this one chapter of the Bible sink in. The love of Christ is in this chapter. The sincerity of the gospel is in this chapter. The love of God is in this chapter. The grace of God is in this chapter. The liberality that we have as Christians is in this chapter. And we're all going to try to cover it in the next two hours. So, no, I'm just kidding. We'll go get there a little faster than that. All right, so verse 1, chapter 5, it says there, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So, of course, he's talking about the yoke of bondage of the Jews, which would be for us today the yoke of religion. Don't fall under the yoke of religious rules in your life. It'll ruin you. Stand fast. That word, uh, the Romans use this word. It's a Greek word that means to to stand fast. You know the movies where they put their, their uh, shields in front and the commander says, you know, hold the line and they all go shields and they put their shields up and whoever the enemy is bounces off the Roman battalion. Well, that's the word here, stand fast. So you lean into it, you put your shield in front of you and you stand fast, therefore, and it's not against the liberty. Notice it's in liberty. So the liberty that you have in Christ, in other words, the liberty away from the rules and regulations and to stand in the freedom that you have with Christ, it's worth making a stand. See, there's some things in life, somebody may have told you this, some things aren't worth fighting for, right? And then there's another saying that says, make sure to pick the right fight. That's a good one too. But this is a good one to pick. Stand fast in liberty. If you're going to have another Christian that gets his uh, uh, pants wadded up over something, I would say this is one to make a stand with. Okay? If they're going to get, if they're going to get frustrated and upset with you, let them get upset over this one. And you stand fast in liberty. Because it, here's, and here's why. Okay? It's dangerous. If you don't make a stand in the liberty, then you're saying, oh, well, actually, I do believe in Jesus plus. I believe that you have to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you have to keep the Sabbath, and you have to keep this rule, and that rule, and the ands will never quit. So this, it's worth making a stand and say, nope, you got that, all that may be good stuff, but I just need Jesus. We have to stand there. Um, don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Verse 2, Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Simply, he's saying circumcision illustrates the law, uh, the Jewish law. So he says if you become uh, a, a, in other words, you look like Jewish law, and that's what you become again, then Christ profits you nothing. Because now you're trying to get to heaven based on all the good things you're doing, and you'll never make it. I testify again, to every man who becomes circumcised, that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. This is a good point. So if you say, no, no, you're wrong, Pastor Justin. I've got to keep the law. Then I will say, how many of them do you keep? Are you just one of the Sabbath keepers? 
oh, I keep the Sabbath. Well, uh, there's a bunch of other rules too. You know, ladies, every time it's your woman's time of the month, you got to go stand outside the camp for that week. No takers? Really? That's the law. Um, there's some crazy, read Leviticus sometimes. You know, some of it's like, this is X-rated in here. Uh, <laughs> it's the law. But it's, uh, it, it's things that God said, this is what you're going to do and keep. Some of it sounds quite silly. But if this, it, look at it. It says, you're a debtor to keep the whole law. You can't pick and choose. So if you're going to get to heaven that way, there's 634 of those laws. Keep every one of them. Don't break one. And if you break one one time, you're guilty of them all and you're headed to hell. That just sounds like a bad way to go, doesn't it? And so we choose Jesus. He says, verse 4, you've become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. What good is the grace of God if you don't accept it? You know, if you wrong me and I say I forgive you, that does you no good unless you accept it, right? I mean, that's the whole point. When we've wronged God and God says, I forgive you, I've fixed it, here's my grace given to you, you have to accept it. There are a lot of people that are going to be in hell for eternity that are forgiven people. They just never accepted it. Because Jesus died for everyone. Everyone is forgiven. But only those in heaven have accepted it. It's not a classification, heaven and hell, of good and bad people. It's a classification of accepting the grace of God, accepting Jesus, or not accepting it. In fact, everyone's forgiven, too. That's not a classification. We're all forgiven. Do you accept it? That's hard. That's actually a very hard concept, but a good one. Now, verse 5, For we through the Spirit, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Um, now, the, the, the idea there, it's by faith. That should be in italics. You know, that he's, he's, in the Greek, there's an emphasis on those words. The hope of righteousness is by faith. In other words, it's not by works. It's not by what you can do, what laws you can keep. It's by faith. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, in other words, keeping the old law or not keeping it, it avails anything but faith working through love. So notice he's building this. First he says, verse 4, you've fallen from grace. Then verse 5, he says, we wait in the Spirit by faith. Then he says in verse 6, it's not going to avail anything, but it's faith working by love. So he starts with a broad subject, and then now it's this faith that you have in your life that's going to work with love. So when you see these preachers on TV, I won't list names, but and you just mute them sometime, and you look at their face, you know, and it's contorting, ah, you know, and you're like, ooh, does this got love or hate, you know? And seriously, have you seen those guys? Uh, mute them. Just don't listen to them, please. Just mute them. And watch their faces contort around. And you're going, there's some spirit in you, but I don't know what it is. It doesn't look like love to me. And, you know, you, you, you want to, as a Christian, embody your faith, but you want it to shine through your life, through love. That's what people are going to see. And uh, for in Christ, Nothing avails anything, the law, but faith working through love. So 
Now we come to verse 7. You ran well. Ran, that's past tense. So he's talking to somebody that's at the end of their run. If you're a runner, that's the my favorite place to be is at the end. Uh, I used to walk, I'd get shin splints real bad. I don't know, it's, I guess some people are, were, are uh, blessed with those. And um, I always love to get past them, you know, and you finally get past those and it's it's a wonderful thing. And to get to the end of your run or your walk, hike, whatever, you want to be able to say that you ran well. And, you know, if you were like I was, I always was clocking myself, you know, always looking to get a little faster, or do a little better. And uh, you ran well. That's, that's a good thing. But then he doubles back and says, well, you were doing so good as a runner. Who hindered you? So in other words, who tripped you up? What stopped you? What slowed you down from obeying the truth? So the truth is, Jesus came and died for you and for me, and we accept him and we go to heaven. Pretty simple. Well, you were running so well. You believed that. That's what you were sharing. What hindered you? Who slowed you down? Who started changing your mind and telling you that it's more than this? It's a good thing to think back on. Because you'll go, usually this is what's so sad. You usually end up back at a church or a Bible study group going, oh, it wasn't the world telling me I needed to do more. It was the church. It was Christians that came along with their shovel and started shoveling dirt on me and saying, oh, mm -mm, you've got to do more. You've got to be more. And it started weighing me down. I was running well. Something stopped me. This persecution, so why does he say this, by the way? I underline this verse 8 in my Bible because this persecution doesn't come from him who calls you. Why is that important? Why is that in our Bible? Because a lot of people think this persecution comes from him who calls you. <laughs> so he writes it, he's, it's very clear, and he says, don't, don't be under a cloud. Don't be confused and don't be misguided. If a Christian's telling you, you got to do more stuff, they're misguided. You don't need to do more stuff. You need to have more Jesus. We're going to get into that here in a minute. Then he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Any of you who bake a little, you know. I remember, you know, the yeast, the little packets, you know. You put a little packets in there and, and uh, the yeast, that's all it needs. You put too much in there and you got a problem. But um, a little bit leavens the whole thing. A little yeast saturates the whole thing. One person come into this church and says, oh, no, that's not good enough. You've got to do Jesus plus we really need to, to do this. And there's some moral things and ethics things and there's some law things and we're, we need to start telling you about how to live your life. Oh, that music you can listen to, but that music you shouldn't. That movie you should watch, but that movie you shouldn't. Why, why aren't you t showing me the heart of Christ? Because the heart of Christ will tell and convict all of us what we should and shouldn't do, right? I don't need you or anyone else telling me the rules and the laws of what I can do. You show me Christ. Christ will convict my heart. That's how it's supposed to be. So this persecution, it doesn't come from him who calls you. A little leaven, it leavens the whole lump, which is a danger, by the way. If you want unleavened bread, Keep those little packets away. You know, I mean, I would say in the church, be careful of that Sunday school teacher. Be careful of a Bible study leader. 
be very careful because they sneak in <laughs> and it starts leavening the whole bunch. And before you know it, you lose churches. That's how it happens. I have confidence in you and the Lord. It's funny that he adds that. Says, you know, that's like me saying, hey, I have a lot of confidence in you. Well, really in the Lord. But anyway, carrying on. So in other words, I have confidence in the Lord that's in you, but don't think much of you. That you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul doesn't even know who he's talking about. He's talking about an idea. He knows there's somebody in there in the churches of Galatia that's messing things up, and it's messing with people's minds, and it's tearing them away from Jesus, pushing them towards dietary laws and all these other things. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross, it has ceased. <laughs> I could wish that those who would trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, I'll explain this briefly. Um, the idea here in their culture is they were having this argument over circumcision. The Jews obviously believed in it. The Gentiles did not. The Jewish Christian said, if you're going to be a Christian that's a Gentile, you have to be circumcised. Paul says, I'm so sick of the argument here. Um, if I still preach that, why am I suffering persecution? The offense of the cross has ceased. In other words, if I'm still preaching that that really matters at all, then everything Jesus did on the cross is for nothing. And then verse 12, this is a little of Paul coming out. Um, he's kind of brash here, but he says, I wish that those who trouble you, um, and the idea in the Greek is would wholly cut themselves. So the idea is he wishes that those that are the Jews that are preaching the circumcision would just castrate themselves. That's essentially what he says there. Take it for what you will. Um, for you, brethren, you have been called to liberty. Only don't use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. So this is getting to the point of the text this morning. He says, you've been called to liberty. I like that he says that. In other words, we don't have to keep up with the law. We have liberty, liberty in Christ. But he says, don't use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Because what happens is this. We go, oh, freedom in Christ. So I can live how I want. True, but your hearts should guide you. The Lord in your heart should be guiding you. There's conviction. Oh, yes, but pastor, that means that I can drink whatever I want, right? I can smoke whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. Well, technically, yes, but what is the Holy Spirit in your heart telling you to do, you see? And so if love is guiding you, and that's where we come to, like, how do I guide my life? Um there are there are things that I do just because I do or don't want to do them, okay? I was a health nut for a while, so there's some things that I, you know, like beer, carbs are extremely high. So I used to drink beer, and I quit drinking beer. Really, it was just because I was trying to get healthy. And so, you know, there's that. What are you, what, but Pastor, what about beer for a Christian? Well, I've seen some that can drink and some that just can't. So, you know... You're going to have to be your own guide on those things. The Bible says don't be drunk. So you don't want to be drunk. I've watched people. I can't really say that it does you a whole lot of good. Um, the times that I have been drunk, uh, you uh, you just feel terrible, okay? It's not as much fun as you might think. 
I've done all that. I mean, I was in high school too, you know, driving home with your head hung out the window, hoping you make it, and uh, sucking on pennies, hoping you know that'll 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 cheat the breath analyzer right. I don't know why that went around in high school. Stupid, but um, it doesn't it doesn't uh, work. By the way, um, you know, I've I've done all of that, and the thing is, is the whole time I did it as a Christian, I had the Holy Spirit back in there saying don't do this, don't do this. And I was saying, no, I'm going to do it anyway. And so I wasn't reading my Bible, you know. I was the son of a pastor. I really was that son of a pastor, you know. If you wonder why my mom and dad are are haggardly looking, you know, it's probably me, you know. I'll admit it. But um, he he lays this thing out because Christians do this. We say, well, we've got liberty, we can do whatever. He says, it's not an opportunity for your flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. This is good. Even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. There's two ways we do this. One, the hypocritical Christian comes around and starts biting on everybody by pouring rules and regulations and laws on you. And this is what it causes in people causes you to walk away from Jesus because you can't keep up with their rules and regulations. So you feel like a failure, so you end up leaving the church. Second thing that happens, on the other side of the equation, you've got the freedom-loving Christian. And he says, oh yeah, that legalistic guy over there, I'm not like him. I can cuss and I can drink and I can do all of this stuff. I can party and I can have sex with whoever and whatever I want. And it's okay because I have liberality in Christ. Well, you're not exactly loving one another, are you? Because now you're tripping up somebody that's coming to church that's trying to get their life straight. They are trying and they need you and I to be strong around them, to help them see that you can live a little bit differently than how they're living out there in the world. So on both sides, uh, there's a lot of fault in the church with people. We've got to have liberality, but we also have to have love. And I don't want to do anything that would cause your life to be miserable or hard. You ask me today, you know, why do I choose not to go to a restaurant somewhere and, and have a beer? Um, simply this. Could I handle it? Yes, probably so. But I would hate for any of you guys, if you're struggling with alcoholism, to put the bottle down, something like that. I don't want you to come in and be tripped up by something I'm doing. I want to be an encourager. You know, I mean, back when I was into uh, working out all the time, I want, that was my heart's desire was to encourage other people to be healthy and to live right. Not to come over and go, look at you, you puny one. You know, I mean, I, you don't want to do that to people. So it's all, you always want to encourage people with whatever God's blessed you with or whatever you're walking in. And when it comes to our Christianity, be an encourager. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be. So then he comes to verse 16. So I say this, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, have you ever wondered as a Christian why you do stuff that you don't want to do? I do I, I've wondered that. Like, why did I just say that? Why did I just get irritated, aggravated, mad? You know, why, why did I react that way? All sorts of things. Well, this 
solves it. And, and I can say this, you know, my MO in life is I like to read my Bible every day. And I'm pretty simple about it. I just read my Bible, say, say a prayer, I pray and read my Bible. But like all of us, then you hit that day where it's like, well, Monday just happened. <laughs> didn't, I didn't get around to doing the things that I wanted to do. Other things take over. And you know those around me can tell it within about a day or two. Hmm, Justin's not walking with the Lord quite where he was yesterday or the day before. And it's so quick. I'm not saying it takes a month or two. I'm saying it takes hours. It can take a day. And you're not who you think you are. Here's the thing. Sometimes if you read the simplest scriptures, there'll be one verse in there that day that will land right on your heart, right when you're at work or school or somewhere dealing with a real, just a ding-a-ling in front of you, and you're challenged, okay? And there's two things going to come out, either the Christian side of you or the worldly side of you. It's always going to happen. And the one that you are feeding wins. It's an old Indian proverb. You know, and he, he talked about getting in, uh, believe it, when he, he, he would get in situations and he ha felt like he had two dogs that were fighting inside of him. And uh, he was asked, well, which one wins? You know, it's a good dog and a bad dog fighting inside of him. And he's asked, which one wins? He said, the one that I feed. That's very true. If you'll feed the Christian side of yourself, walking in the Spirit, just read your word, go to church, you know, stay, stay engaged, then that's what you'll walk in. Those are the things that will come to mind. We have great memories. I mean, as humans, God did such an amazing job with our brains. They, I mean, that's like we, we're still trying to work on computers to get them to hold the information that our brains will hold and that you can access. And what He's done is he's made your brain large enough that the more scripture that you commit to memory, it will actually hold it all. Is that not, it's amazing? And you may not think it's holding it until you need it. And in that moment, you think, oh, but you're giving it to me to quote to others. No, he's giving it to you to quote to yourself. You need it. You see, when you get in those situations, it changes you when you let the word of God come through you and then the love flows through you. Not the word of God flowing through you. We always think, you know, don't be that Christian uh, snob that has the verse for every occasion, okay? That nobody likes a smarty pants. Um, so don't be that Christian snob, okay? What you do is you hear the word of God in your heart. It's usually going to strengthen you in that occasion. And people are just going to read you. They don't care about the words you say. They read you and how you react. So walk in the Spirit. If you're concerned with how you're acting, walk in the Spirit. Now, he's going to give some examples, and I love this. He said, if you're, if you're led in the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he says, the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, it's real plain, guys. If you're walking, you may be a Christian, but if you're walking in the flesh, these are the works of, of, of your flesh apart from Christ. Adultery fornication, same thing, it's just adultery is having sex with somebody that's married, fornication somebody that's not, and uh, that you're not married to. 
And here's the thing. Remember, we just said operate under love, and now you're saying, oh, now you're pouring rules on me. Well, let me just tell it to you this way, okay? Adultery, you may think that's an act of love, but you are ruining some kids' lives. You're ruining another person's life. And the thing for you to do if somebody approaches you with adultery, it's not to air all that laundry. It's for you to take them square by the shoulders and say, you don't want to do this. You need to go home. That's love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Send them packing. Because you don't want to be a homewrecker. Second thing, fornication. You think, I'm single, they're single. Who cares? The unborn baby that you create cares. That's one. And when you start acting out sexually, you hurt people around you. And it can hurt people in her or his family for a long time to come. It creates walls, it creates boundaries, and it hardens your heart. You give away a little piece of your heart every time that you date somebody new. And you don't ever get it back. So I would highly advise you. And you know what's funny? is years later, when you look back at people that you've dated, uh, you look at them and you just go, you know, they took a piece of me away. Maybe you learned some things from it. But you see that there are still places in life where you can no longer walk or you're no longer welcome because of past relationships. I'm telling you, it, it, we all in life, it's like we're born and we go buy a hefty uh, uh, garbage sack and put it over our shoulder and we just start filling it up. And, and you get halfway through life and you're so weighted down with this sack of crap that you're hauling around with you that you can't move anymore. Don't do it to yourself. Freedom is being free. And don't look to be hitched if you're free. Okay? You, you are, if you are married and it's something God did, it magnifies your life. But if you are in a relationship and it is not of the Lord, it has a way of, of de-escalating everything that you could do in life. It takes you down. So, uh, it takes them down. It's not walking in love. So, adultery, fornication, uncleanness. Wash your hands. Uh, he's actually saying a little more than that. Uh, uncleanness is just, it's just filthy living, you know. Um, lewdness. Another, another reference to just, it's just filthy living. And, uh, Idolatry, sorcery. So uh, you know so that's pretty. It's all pretty plain stuff, right? And then it says hatred. You ever live around somebody that lives in hatred? It absolutely just tears your soul down. They're they're toxic. You talk to them every day, and it's like this hatred bah, comes out of them again. You're like, we talked about this last year, and last year, and last year. Get over it, you know. But you don't tell them because you're afraid they'll turn on you. But Hatred, uh, that when that's in somebody, it's a work of the flesh. Contentions. That hits all of us. We all like a good contention. <laughs> Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath. That, that word in the Greek isn't just a, uh, it's not just anger. It's, it's the root word for dynamite. So you ever meet that person? Their fuse is about, you know, one centimeter long. You're like, what did I say? You know, he just went off. And the holes are coming in the walls and all this. And they're like, this guy's got problems, you know. My uncle, he'll never listen to this, but he uh, he was saddling a horse one day. 
And uh, he had a very short temper when he was a young man. And uh, this horse, he, uh, he, he stepped on his foot while he was saddling him. And that does hurt. But um, his fuse was, like I said, very short. So he got the horse off his foot, and he's hopping around. So he uh, renamed the horse, and then he kicked the horse um, just as hard as he possibly could. And he broke his big toe. And um, I thought that is the funniest thing that I've ever seen because then he's hopping around with his broke toe at uh, four in the morning. And uh, well, then he gets really mad. So he decides he's going to take this big rock that's laying there. It's about the size of a plate. And he picks this rock up and he's just going to bash, I guess, the horse with this rock. And I thought this is not going to go well. So he rears back and chunks this rock. He missed the horse by about three inches. You know, it sails by the horse's head. It hits the side of this, it's a wooden barn. It's got a lot of give to it. So it hits and it bounces right back at him. I mean, it threw that rock back, hit him right in the head. And um, so I was laughing at this point and uh, decided I better start running, you know, practice my running. Cause, well, like anger, I mean, that's just such a good picture of what anger does to us. It, it just it makes you look like a fool. And anytime that I have reacted in anger, very quickly, I look back and go, oh, the dynamite short fuse thing, it's got to go. That's just the flesh. All right, moving on, tearing everybody apart. Selfish ambitions, that one gets all of us because we all have ambitions, right? We're always taught that's good to have ambition in life. Are they selfish? What, is that, what does this mean? I'll, quick explanation. Ambition is when you have an ambition to do something, anything, good or bad. Selfish ambition redefines that and says it's to tear others down and to build you up. Mm, changes things. So a selfish ambition would not be a good thing. If you have to tear people around you down to build what you are, that's a bad thing. And so he says it's a fleshly thing. Uh, dissensions and heresies. So dissension is when you can't agree about anything. And then heresies is when you're pushing something that's a false narrative. Um, then he keeps going. Envy. That's a bad one. Murderers. Hope we don't have that here. Uh, drunkenness. Uh, revelries. That's just partying. You know, if you're a hard partier, that's probably not very Christ-like. And he says, and the like. So anything along those lines. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, those who practice such things won't inherit the kingdom of God. So if that's you, that's what you're living. It's not that if you do it, you won't get to heaven. But if that's you, you're not going to make it to heaven because a Christian can't do all that without feeling something. At some point, you're going to say, this isn't working. When I was in high school, I tried it, okay? Dated worldly girl, did worldly things, worldly partying, worldly revelry, all the stuff. And my heart was tore apart, you know? And... For years, I lived in a tore apart state because I knew that my life was not matching what God was doing in my heart. And I finally had to start making some hard decisions. And I decided enough of this, you know. And you're, you'll struggle. You know, I did too. Um, and, you know, I thought at the time, the girl I was dating, uh, the re relationship headed down the tubes uh, in high school. And I thought, I know, I'll, I'll save her. So... We went over to Albuquerque at the time to a Billy Graham crusade. I went all the way. You know, like, now we're going we're gonna to fix this relationship. You can't do that. You can't missionary date. 
can't you can't fix somebody. God brings people into your life that are supposed to be there, and it's evident right up front. And you know in your heart if they're not supposed to be there right up front. And you can talk to me and tell me different, and I just don't believe you. Um, I know that to be true. Check your heart. Your heart will never lead you astray if Jesus is on the throne in your life. Okay? So trust what your heart's telling you when it comes from the Lord. Walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, he says, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, and then he's going to list uh, these things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice it's kind of the opposite list of what we just read. He says, against such there is no law. Now, this is interesting because all the times that you teach through this, you go, now, now folks, you got it? No more killing people, no more hatred, and we're going to have love, joy, peace, right? And we're going to leave here, and we're going to strain to do those things because that's what makes you good little Christians, okay? No, that didn't work because you're going to leave here and think, i got to work harder on this list, love. Love people, that's hard. It's hard to love people, right? Because then they do something that makes them unlovable. And then you're going, oh, but the Bible says love. I've got to work harder to love. It, it doesn't say these are the things that you should work to do. It says it's the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever seen an apple tree? The apple tree produces apples. Or they should. Um, you plant the apple tree, if it has a good source of water, you know, nutrients, it grows. And remember what Psalms 1 says talking about the tree firmly planted by the rivers of water. And then what does it do? Well, it brings forth its fruit in its season, it says there. And that's what trees do. I mean, anybody that, that grows a crop, they know if I plant this tree, it takes five years or so for an apple tree to really start producing well. And it's going to grow. It's going to root itself. What does John uh, 15 talk about? Abide in Christ. And he and me, I'm being, being part of the vine, is the illustration that's there. So Christ all through Scripture is saying, there's this idea that I want to weave through Scripture about you being planted by the rivers of water. The water is always the Spirit. We're walking the Spirit here, be planted in the Spirit, same idea. And if that's you, then you're just going to produce fruit. Remember Jesus, uh, it's in Luke and it's in Matthew. There's a story right before he's walking to Jerusalem last time. And they're walking down the road, and he curses this fig tree. You remember that story? So he's walking by, and he just walks over this tree, and his disciples are going, you know, he's talking to trees. You know, who's this guy? But he talks to the tree, and, and he said, Cursed are you, um, because it's fruitless. There's no fruit on the tree. And then they walk on. I'm sure the disciples all scratch their head. What, what is this about? Well, the Old Testament, it talks about Israel being the fruit of the vine the vine being planted in God. And then in the New Testament, we have the John 15 idea where you abide in Christ because He is the vine and you are the branches. And you, if you don't abide in the vine, then you're going to die. Now we get this thing of the fruit of the Spirit here. We have uh, David, Psalms 1, saying, be planted like a tree by the rivers of water, bringing forth your fruit. All of this adds up. And you see, don't strain to do these things. 
make a decision to have the Spirit in your life. That's the decision to make. Make a decision that I am going to be planted by the rivers of water. I am going to be planted in Christ. I am going to, John 15, abide in Christ. And if I will do these things, then the fruit will just come. You will be walking by, and all of a sudden you will see fruit on the tree. And here's another thing about fruit. How many fruit trees have you ever seen eating their own fruit? I hope not any. That would be weird. Um, Fruit is for others. Spiritual fruit on the tree doesn't bless you. It blesses others. Now, you're going to be proud that you've got that fruit on your tree, but it's for others. You don't love yourself, right? I hope not. I mean, you need to like yourself, but you know, you don't go around, I just love me. I'm my most favorite person, you know? I hope not. Love, love is others. You, you love someone else. You demonstrate that love. Joy and peace, or you can be at peace with yourself, but peace is really only seen or manifested when there's two involved. There's peace or war, right? So you can have peace. Long-suffering, other people bring that about in your life. (laughs) Kindness, you can only be kind to someone. You can't, you know, if you're kind to yourself, you know, I feel good today, I'm going to have a whole tub of ice cream. You know, like, that's not going to work. You got to be kind to someone. So all of these things here, uh, goodness, faithfulness. Do you have faith in yourself? No, you have faith in Christ. It's about something, someone else. Gentleness, that's other-centered. Self-control, again, all of these things, other-centered. So it's the fruit. So what I'm saying is this. You never walk by a fruit tree and you don't listen to it and it's not sitting there straining, trying to pop out the fruit, okay? It just comes in its season. There's not fruit on your tree today. Maybe there will be tomorrow. Maybe you need to focus harder if you don't see fruit, because Scripture does say, judge yourselves lest you be judged. Not judge yourself, cutting yourself down. Just become fruit inspectors. That's what I like to say. You know, we don't judge in the church. We just inspect the fruit. And I look and I say, do I have any fruit? Is there anything hanging in my branches? Yeah. And if there's not, it's not a fruit problem. It's a root problem. I need to become more rooted in Christ. And what I was saying a while ago, I can say, yes, Beth, you're right. I haven't been with the Lord as much as I need to be the last few days. And as soon as I make that change, then the fruit of the Spirit begins to blossom again in my life. And so it will be for you guys. So don't focus on these lists. And I don't even want you to leave here today with your head hung, you know, going, you know, verse 20 and 21. Uh, 19, 2021. 20, There's a bunch of those things that I'm, I've kind of got going on. That's not a problem. God's already forgiven you. The problem is what you're rooted in. You're walking in your flesh and not the Spirit. So focus more on the Spirit and your freedom, and all these things will sort themselves out. As soon as you start reaching for the Lord, all the bad relationships, all of the things that you do that you don't want to do, they literally start melting out of your life. So if up to now it's been a strain, like I've got this habit and it's really weighing me down, quit worrying about it. Just read your Bible. It'll fix itself. None of the the bad habits or things that I used to do in my life 
none of those things uh, fixed by somebody trying to convict me. Really, I wasn't convicted on any of them. I made a decision, a, a mind change, because I just didn't want to do it anymore. And, it, and it, it moves away. Why did I not want to do it anymore? Because the Spirit of God was working in my life. There's not a lot of this conviction and right and wrong stuff. It's just following the Lord. So, we better finish this chapter. Verse 24, those who are Christ, they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I really love that that is a statement, yet in the Greek, it's a continuing, uh, what is that, a continuing participle. So the idea is, this is a work that starts when you come to Christ, and it just continues. So if you're here this morning and you go, yeah, but I haven't really crucified the, my whole flesh. I still do a little bit of stuff that I wish I didn't do, and I still have passion and desire going on for things that I probably shouldn't have passion and desire for. So I guess I'm missing the boat. Nope, you're on a journey. You're just on a journey. So this is where you end up. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Doesn't mean it's dead yet. It just means you've made a decision. I'm moving towards Christ and away from this stuff. Let's see how the road goes. Walking with Christ is a journey. If we live in the Spirit, then let us walk in the Spirit. That's pretty good. If we live in the Spirit, then let us walk in the Spirit. Live, in other words, you found your life by accepting Jesus Christ, right? That's how you found your hope. Then if that's where you found your hope, you're, that's how you're alive today, and you know you're going to live for eternity is through Christ, then walk here on earth in the Spirit. That's what he's saying there. Let us not become conceited. Interesting last verse. Now that you know this stuff, don't become conceited with it and become legalistic in your liberality because you can. Because now we can become spirit inspectors. You know, like, oh, well, I don't judge because, hey, I'm into liberality. You know, you can do whatever, but I see the spirit's not quite as strong in your life as he is with me. We can become conceited. Very spiritual. I, we, we went to, uh, uh, I met my wife at Bible college and uh, used to at that school, there was four semesters. And you could always tell that the students, first semester students, were holy rollers. Um, they were just so holy, so holy. And they didn't know anything, but they were very holy. By the time, you know, the, the second semester students were, I would say, probably worse. By the third, they were quiet because they would figure it out. They really didn't have their life all together after all. Actually, they had a long ways to go. And by the fourth semester, you were just ready to get out of there because you couldn't stand the first semester students. So that's pretty much how that school ran on the spiritual meter, okay? Now, uh, and I'm not saying, you I mean, everybody learned a lot, but spiritually, there's this roller coaster ride that all Christians kind of have to go through. And so he ends this chapter with that, it's a, it's a gem. It's, don't become conceited. Now that you know just walk in the Spirit, but don't be conceited because you have more Spirit than the next guy next to you or vice versa. He says when you're conceited, you're provoking one another and you're envying one another because, well, they've got their life figured out, but I don't have mine. That's the biggest thing I hear. You know, uh, somebody always tells me their age, which I don't care how old you are. The older I've got, the less I care, trust me. Like, I'm 25 and I should have things figured out by now. 
but I don't, and other people do, and it's the same spiel. And I'm like, well, don't become conceited, <laughs> and uh, don't envy one another, <clears throat> because all you're doing, you're provoking when when you start throwing your spirituality around. It's not worth it. Walk in Christ, liberality. Uh, next week, God willing, we'll look at chapter six and uh, finish this book up. Another absolutely excellent chapter uh, for us as Christians to get. So I guess as we end, I would encourage you guys, if, if any of these things you struggle with this morning as we pray, ask that the Lord would give you a stronger portion of the Spirit. And the thing that worked for my life was never to pray against, Lord, take this out of my life or take that out of my life. But Lord, give me your heart and spirit. Because if I have a, a filled void with Jesus and with the Spirit, there's just not room for that other stuff. And uh, so that, that's a great prayer. So why don't we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord. And uh, Lord, what an amazing chapter. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for the things that you're doing in all of our lives, Lord. You are, you are an amazing God. And uh, we love you. We th- Thank you, Lord, for giving us your spirit. And Lord, I want to pray specifically if there are people here this morning that are gathered that are struggling through some of these things, just saying, my life doesn't look as I wish it did. And Lord, I pray specifically for those people this morning that you would give your spirit to them in a real and a new way, Lord, just to live in their hearts, to convict them, to lead and to guide, and that, Lord, you'd give them a new desire in their heart, to just walk with you and to walk after you and just leave these other things behind. I pray that our church, for everyone here, that we would have a heart of love one for another and for those on the outside, Lord. And that's not a not a feeling love, but Lord, just a heart of love, that we're willing to, to do things that are good for other people and uh, to demonstrate you, Lord, out there in the public, in our families, in the world, Lord, so that everyone could see Jesus Christ in our hearts, Lord, and it would cause them to get curious and to seek you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.